Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Like fire on the Christmas tree. We're doing this <laughs> That's thing. horrible. Have you been uh, <laughs> double dipping in the eggnog tonight? Oh, boy, I feel like I should have been. You probably should have been. How's yes. your How's your holiday? It was good. It was festive. Did you see anything on your holiday? That's all I care about. Uh, did I see anything, anything on my did holiday? You any, did you take advantage of the Christmas openings? You know, I did not get a chance. I did not get a chance. I didn't either, okay. and I regret it. I deeply, I still haven't seen Walter Mitty, and that makes me crazy. I haven't seen, yeah, I haven't seen anything. I didn't even get to take the kids to a movie. Oh. I was gonna, I was gonna go see Walking with Dinosaurs. With yeah, them, but I didn't get to do that either. Uh. It's been, uh, uh, yeah, and a very anticlimactic holiday season in terms of film watching. Shame. Yes. That's a shame. It's a holiday shame. A pox, a pox upon your house, sir. <laughs> wow. I uh, Let me tell that... you, my house, I've created a monster in my house. Really? We've had this Christmas we this tra- tradition. Is it going to be called Wright's Monster? No, it's not going to be called that. Although I will oh. tell you that uh, that Santa for... Uh, Christmas gave my wife right socks and uh, a game for our family from Right Games. Wow. Yeah, I know. No, that's not why I've created Monster. Monster is when I was a young man, a young lad, uh, our tradition at, at my house was, you know, every Christmas Eve, we would break out National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And we would, mm-hmm. we would join the Griswolds in a... Uh, Little Yuletide, Yuletide cheer. And as I've grown older, as I've grown to become a man, that tradition has has stuck with us. And I I brought that to my family, and and that's what we want. The kids go to bed, and then my wife and I sit down, and when her family comes in, they just fully expect that we're going to sit down and watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And this year, I, I, I had the nerve, the gall, to offer up an alternative, any alternative. National Lampoon's Christmas, which, believe me, people, I love. I love this film. I deeply love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I just thought it might be nice to shake it up just a little bit. (laughs) And uh, no one will have it. They will not have it. They will not even think about it. I mentioned other films that we've done uh, on the show. I mentioned that we're doing tonight. We're doing Christmas in Connecticut. And they'll say, (laughs) the Griswolds, what will they do? (laughs) <laughs> if we're not there to watch them. It's like they're they're in the world of Toy Story, how the toys come to life. Yes. It's like all the movie characters are sitting there waiting in their little in their little digital files waiting for you to put them in again so they can act it out again. To do what they are meant to do. 
to perform for us in a tiny box of electrons. Excellent, excellent. So I'm pretty upset about that. But, you know, I, uh, it's okay. We made it through. It but does it's happen. It's just hard we... to believe that I'm the one who's now ready for change. I'm a little shocked at that. It is very easy at the holiday season to get to start feeling like you're in that holiday movie rut. Yeah. What'd you do? You did uh, We're No Angels while you were cooking? We're No Angels. Uh, let's see. Wizard of Oz, Elf, Miracle on 34th Street, A Christmas Story, I think, three times. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, the entire Rankin-Bass collection. It's, <laughs> it's been like a nonstop loop of Christmas movies. <laughs> and the worst of them is when I go over to my in-laws' house. Now, I love my in-laws. Don't get me wrong. But they have the colorized version of Miracle on 34th Street, which pains me that it gets put in every year. <laughs> I have to, I have to like go to sleep to, to take a nap when they put it on because I just can't stand sitting watching the colorized version. Uh, You're kind of a purist. I am. I am a bit of a purist. Well, I, uh, I actually, I totally understand what you, what you're feeling. You know, I'm shopping for a new TV. Do you know that? Oh, I thought I think you were told me that. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm on the market. And and so what I've what I've heard is this is there there's a tie in, the small screen to big screen thing. Okay. What do you what did you 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 said you just you just pop for a new TV, right? Yes. What'd you get? What'd you get? Go ahead, lay it out. Oh, you know, you ask me all these things. I don't know all this. You don't know. I I, right. I, I I click on all the buttons, you know, I do the research. <laughs> and then it's I, gone. And I, yeah, I, I like I looked it up. It's like one of the, the the best sellers you could get for the money. Yeah. Blah blah blah. And then I buy it, and then I forget all of that stuff. Well, like I'm I'm hard pressed to even remember the brand. I, <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, you know I have I've spent so long not thinking about televisions that thinking about television gives me a little bit of, of heartburn. But um, I I started the process. And uh, what I, you know, what I learned is what I think many people learn is that Samsung's kind of at the top of the top of the mountain right now, mostly because they're the biggest and they throw the most money at it, and they now manufacture all the panels for a lot of other companies like Sony, and and they have this thing. Uh, I was over at Buddy's house, and he put on a movie. It was for his kids, and and we were watching it, and it was it was I swear to you, it was that same feeling I get when watching high frame rate. At the Hobbit, mm-hmm. oh, you it's know, like uh, yeah. actors on stage wearing yeah. costumes. It's no more fantasy. It's so clear. It's like they're in a little. I'm looking through a window. Were you going to say something? I, I, I have yes. My I have a string on my finger. Okay, so I I went to the store and I asked the guy, "What is this that I'm looking at?" Because there I'm in the store. I see the same model television that was on my the TV in my buddy's house, and he says, "And he says, well, that's the Samsung model, you know, seventy one hundred, whatever. It's kind of the the seventy one hundred and the eight thousand are the kind of premium lines for Samsung." And he said, "It's because they have this uh, this two hundred and forty hertz refresh rate instead of you know sixty on the low end, one twenty kind of in the mid range now and." 240 on the high end and that they have this boost uh, refresh rate for certain modes that sends it into the stratosphere in terms of clarity and motion correction in other words they get rid of all motion correction at all it's just like so clear it's like frame by frame by frame and i don't understand what most of that means other than the fact that it makes it looks really terrible when you're watching something. I, I imagine it'll look great during the Olympics. You know what I mean? Like watching live <laughs> sports and maybe news. Uh, it'll look fantastic. But when you're watching uh, a movie, it looks terrible. It looks 
terrible. I can't, like, like I said last week, I cannot believe that people producing this equipment look at it, look at it and they say, gosh, that looks really great because it looks awful. Uh, and so it turns out that you can turn it off. It's part of Samsung's like clear vision or clear view thing, and you can turn it down. So what they, all the innovation that they put into it, they've actually given you a kill switch, which is, I think, positive. Uh, anyway, I was very frustrated by that because it turns out that's the that's probably the panel. I would just have to pick the size that that we want because otherwise it's it's pretty darn good. So if anybody has any great recommendations, man, I am all ears because I I need to you know it's Super Bowl season is coming up. And that's when they they start dropping the prices on these things to move TVs uh, toward the end of January. So I got a couple of weeks. Uh, well, then I'm going to be shopping. The that is something that is uh, you know one of those things on all the TVs. That's exactly how ours looked when I got it, and it drove me nuts. And we both were just ready to turn it off and not not turn it back on. But yeah, it is one of those functions that's in the TV. You got to find the find the little on off thing for that and kill it. The other thing that's important to do that I swear nobody does is get a calibration disc. I don't know what you're going to use if you're going to have, uh, you know, Blu-ray, digital, whatever you're going to do. But you should at least get, I don't think they do any sort of calibration tests just through streaming. You might have to, like, hook up a, a Blu-ray deck or something to your TV just to calibrate it. Yeah. But you should have a calibration disc and actually calibrate the TV because you want to make sure that all that stuff is set properly. And most people don't do that. And most, I swear, I can't even watch TV at my in-laws' house because everything is still squished and, you know, it's like, ugh, it drives me nuts. So calibration, so, so the calibration disc does more than, um, <clears throat> does more than just deal with color and contrast and brightness and that stuff. No, it does all that and audio and everything, yeah. but it also helps you check your aspect ratio and make sure all that stuff is set properly. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it helps just look at all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I think in, in every TV, you're going to have to go through all those menus, those picture menus, which, I mean, they're, mine is like at least three screens long of, of different options to adjust different things related to the picture. And you do you do want to go through all that. And, I mean, I just took everything that had some sort of an auto setting and I turned them all off because, I mean, there's just a whole page of things that do all these different auto adjustments that it's like I don't want it to do. So you definitely need to, um, you know, pay attention to that sort of stuff when you get a new TV. Uh, uh, terrible. <laughs> uh, but uh, good advice. And, yeah, you know, I'm in, in talking about Blu-ray, I mean, what I'm thinking is, you know, it's it's probably going to be my next game console. Oh, uh, you know right. what I'm saying? Because I don't do uh, like I I don't have a, a Blu-ray player. It's all just you know, it's all in the computer. Yeah. So I don't know if it'll be the PlayStation Four or, or the Xbox One. But that'll probably be the player I use. What I hear is, and I'm sure someone's going to write in and tell me uh, where I'm wrong or send me a great resource. I I would appreciate that. But what I hear is the the sort of best bang for your buck Blu-ray is the Sony because it's in. It, it tends to be the top of the market yeah. um, actual device built into the PS4. So, um, so I'll probably end up going that way. But I don't know. I've been an Xbox guy for an awful long time. Sony's Blu-ray players are pretty slick. Yeah, that's what I've, what I've heard. Yeah. All right. Uh, en- enough, uh, enough about that. Enough TV banter.
We are the next reel, everybody. We are the next reel, and we are we're darn happy to be here this uh, holiday week. Uh, we are uh, we spoil movies. That's what what's what it's our job. It's what we do. It's why we why we gather here uh, every week. We spoil old films, and uh, this week is no different. You can find us at thenextreel.com. You can also uh, subscribe to the show for free uh, by way of iTunes. There, it's the best way to to catch up with us. And we sure appreciate any kind words or reviews that you have to share there. And if you leave a review, you will uh, uh, you will enter to win, right? Our big contest right. to 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 uh, what are they winning for? Well, they're going to have to um, do it what in the next few days, right? Yeah, right by January first. Yeah, by before the end of the year, uh, you need to enter so that you can uh, pick a movie. We're gonna we're gonna draw one lucky person out of the hat, and they're gonna get to pick a movie that we're going to review and talk about on the show. Can't wait for that. Uh, you can also head to facebook.com slash the next reel or Google Plus. Uh, plus.com let's see it's google.com slash plus the next real podcast it's a whole mess there with the plus just click on the link from the website yeah you should go there and do that and then (laughs) then you should also for for the real fanatics who want to see where we've been and where we're going head over to either flickchart.com slash the next real or letterboxd and you can see our watch list for the 2014 season uh andy uh how'd we do this week on the Instagram guess the movie pony prize. Boy, you know, I uh, last week I said this was going to be an easy one, and less than an hour <laughs> for posting the first picture, our good friend Hunt Thug Nasty uh, picked it, and uh, he knew obviously right away that the image I posted was from Elf, a nice little holiday treat, and so that <laughs> was. Obviously, very easy. Maybe I should not pick holiday movies during the during holidays the season, but yeah. everyone is watching them. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be all thematic and hey, uh, you know, we there's lessons around every corner. <laughs> yes, there are life's little lessons. <laughs> but congratulations to Hunt Thug Nasty. He's entered to win our pony prize, and uh, one of these days we'll actually we'll actually draw that. We got it. We're very excited, but it's coming together. It's seriously coming together in a big way. It is. It is. Um, it's not a car. <laughs> Every week we should just add another thing that it's not, just so we keep expectations. It's not right. Rationalize expectations. Uh, excellent. Fantastic. Let's talk about... Oh, God. <laughs> Let's talk about trailers. It's trailer time. <laughs> It's Christmas for Pete. <laughs> I cannot believe the universe has conspired against me as it has. I'm for going to go first. For you. Oh, shut it. Uh, I'm going to go first. I, I'm going to go first because I feel like i, I got to get it out of the way. I'm choosing. I can't believe that I'm choosing this, but I'm choosing uh, Draft Day. Uh, Draft Day is a new film from Ivan Reitman, uh, written by Scott Rothman and... Rajiv Joseph. It stars Jennifer Garner, Tom Welling, uh, Terry Crews, Sam Elliott, Ellen Burstyn, <laughs> David Ramsey, Rosanna Arquette comes out of the woodwork. I'm a big fan that of Dennis Leary. He's in this film. Frank Langella, uh, Skeletor himself, is in this film. And uh, Christopher Cousins <laughs> with with what I am told is a brief guest appearance from Kevin Costner. It's weird that he would get top billing and his face on the poster 
for such a small part. What I have to, oh, can only hope is such a small part. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Oh, this is I, I don't know about that. I'm really torn on this film because I, I, I chose this trailer because honestly because of my love of Moneyball. Yeah. It feels very much like Moneyball, but with football. And that's great. I am excited about, the, uh, just just as I was with Moneyball, I'm excited about a film that takes on uh, the a sports franchise from a new angle. And I love this angle of business. It feels like somebody saw Moneyball and said, you know what, we should totally do that with football, and hopefully a good movie comes out of it. I'm, I'm excited about that. That it has Kevin Costner in it is, you know, it, 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 he doesn't look bad in this movie. I, I, I'm doesn't doesn't necessarily look terrible so i'm gonna i'm holding out hope i'm i've got a candle that maybe this will turn me around but the fact that this trailer which is due uh, april 11th 2014 usa uh that this trailer would come out within days of another major 2014 kevin costner release <laughs> makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit <laughs> it's interesting that I don't know if it's interesting, but I find it interesting that that Tom Welling, a.k.a. one of the many Supermen out there. Yes. Who played Superman, I think, the longest, right? That's like 11 uh, years, 9 years or something. I I don't know. You would know better. I don't know how long Lois and Clark ran. That was uh, probably not that long. I thought it was like 7 years. Yeah. But that he's, he's in this with Kevin Costner, who played Pa Kent. I know. I know. Yeah. And Ellen Burstyn, who tweets. <laughs> I think oh, it looks really man. funny. I'm looking forward to it. And it's thrilling to talk to talk about this. And my pick for trailers this week. I really wasn't going to do this to you, but you, you brought it upon yourself by picking a Kevin Costner movie. I only had to give you this as a Christmas present. Uh-huh. But this right. is the Nails trailer. in coffins <laughs> come to mind. The trailer for the Kevin Costner action drama thriller <laughs> with just a touch of Luc Besson French comedy thrown in, Three Days to Kill. <laughs> Luke Bazan is one of the writers on this, along with Adi Hasek. McGee is directing this. Not a lot of stuff uh, making me want to stand up and, and go watch this movie. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I'd much rather watch your Kevin Costner film. Yeah, But, you know, it looks like, if anything, it'll have that that antic Luke Bazan energy to it. it. Kevin Costner is... A dying Secret Service agent who is, needs to get this experimental drug, but only if he will do this one last assignment. And so he's got three days to kill, as the title says. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is his daughter. Amber Heard looks like the uh, the handler in this. And, uh, you know, it looks over the top and silly. And, I mean, this is one of those ones that I'll probably watch late at night. You know... Right after I, you watch Terminator Salvation. I did watch a late-at-night Christmas Eve movie this year, and I forgot to mention. Oh, what was that? I, I watched Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> oh, why, this was the uh, one of the White House... Uh, is, this uh, was one of the White House thing, movies, you know? and I only watched it because it was late at night, and we were just flipping through Netflix. Hey, man, re- we're just ready people. Ready to fall asleep. We're I know, all just ready, people ready here. There's no asleep. apologies. I put it on, and I was like, oh, I'll just fall asleep to this. I was awake till the end, and I, I mean, it wasn't very good, but I had a great time watching it. So there, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. not something I would ever watch again, but it's, it's, these so are those there, movies that are like perfect, everybody. like, 
perfect late at night, just trash. So there you go. Three days to kill. I look forward to watching that. Maybe next Christmas Eve <laughs> as I drift off to sleep. I will confirm so that we uh, so that I, we can keep people from worrying about it. Uh, Lois and Clark ran for four seasons. Smallville for ten. Oh, God. I'm glad that. Uh, well, now wait a minute. How long was the was it George Reeves or George? What's the guy? I don't know the his original. Name. The original. The original. Superman. Oh. Um. Well, I'm gonna find that. That would that would be the. Uh, What's oh, his name? Goodness. Yeah. George, I think you're right. George Reeves. Uh, it was Superman. I was gonna TV say that. And I was like, well, it's Christopher Reeve, and I don't know. The Adventures anyway. of Superman TV series that ran for six seasons. So maybe it is Tom Welling. I think it might be Tom Welling, it, unless you count a uh, number of just years associated with it. I mean, obviously Christopher Reeve yeah. played over over the course of so many years. From you know when when did the first one come out? Nineteen. Uh, uh, 78. Eight, yeah. 78 through uh, was it Superman 4, so? Quest for Peace, 87. 87, yeah. Yeah, that was terrible. That was a really, really bad movie. Anyway, Three Days to Kill, February 21st, 2014. Luc Besson, comedy <laughs> stylings. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> oh, you know what I forgot to mention? Oh, totally. If anybody wants a ringtone of Andy singing the theme song to The Blob, check out The Blog. (laughs) You can get it and download it and put it on your phone, and then whenever Andy calls you, like me, he'll sing to you, and you'll never want to answer your phone because it's so great. (laughs) We also have Tommy Hansom singing the new Flick Chart song as a ringtone. Ah, priceless. Good stuff. We need to get you singing something for You'll a never show. have anything because I do the show. You'll <laughs> never have that kind of information on me. Curses. Foiled again. Let's talk about this movie tonight, shall we? Let's. Who said there isn't any Santa Claus? Look what I found in my stocking. <laughs> Heaven help a sailor on a Christmas like this. <laughs> this is the jolliest, merriest Christmas I ever spent. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. It is so, so romantic. It gives me pimples all over the course. I'm as free as a bird. Oh, that's what you think. Don't you come near me, you you sea wolf. After the way you've deceived me, I I warn you, you. if you take another step, I'll scream. Did, I can't remember. Had you seen this? Is this one that you, you knew about? I never had heard of this movie before. <laughs> who, who recommended this? This was in this our was search. This was on Facebook, right? No, it was, it was our search for quaint, classic Christmas movies that we hadn't really heard of before, kind of keeping this tradition alive of picking movies that neither of us had really seen or maybe only one of us had seen or we'd <laughs> only remotely heard of. This was one that, uh, yeah, it just kind of came up in our search of Christmas movies and we thought we'd give it a go. And go we did give it. <laughs> uh, 1945, Christmas in Connecticut, uh, directed by Peter Godfrey, written by Lionel Hauser, Adele Comandini. Is that how you would say that if you were? That's how I would say that. Story by Eileen Hamilton, starring Barbara Stanwyck, Dennis Morgan, Sidney Greenstreet, ah, Reginald Gardner, S.Z. Zakal, and many more people. But those were the most fun ones. 
the, the most <laughs> ranked in order of fun. Those are those are the ones. Those that are the ones are that we on our fun list. <laughs> on our fun list. Uh, I, wow! I both love and hate this film at once. Oh, really? I do. <laughs> I do. I'm so conflicted about this film because I. It is one that is. If, if you just sort of let go and and watch it, it's a fun. It's a a, a script that is. Um, you know, it's nice and uh, it's uh, quick dialogue. Uh, there is not a lot of fat in this film. I mean, it just, it, to me, it moves along very quickly. Um, and uh, from sort of escapade to escapade, it's uh, it, it's a romp uh, through this woman's, uh, this poor woman's horrible choices. <laughs> and, and at the same time, it is a film that, Around every corner, there is another cultural norm that no longer holds up uh, in our day, right? There's just like, it's a movie that exists in 1945 and couldn't exist in any other year after, to me. Uh, and so I, I find it a, uh, it, it is, it's like walking through a, a, a cultural museum, uh, for me, I, I had a good time watching it. I deeply enjoyed uh, uh, watching Barbara Stanwyck and uh, you know Dennis Morgan, uh, but mostly Sidney Greenstreet uh, having the wool pulled right over his eyes. Uh, and uh, I, I I enjoyed the film, uh, and yet I, I it was hard to watch. Interesting. Yeah, I had a lot of fun watching it. I mean, it is dated, but but not in a way where it really made it hard for watch hard to watch for me. I really just enjoyed it. It was very uh, just kind of fun and festive and it's, but it also was I think an interesting um, uh, take on kind of the screwball comedy you know, because it does kind of have that that kind of zaniness and that speed that you were talking about, like there's not a lot of fat. It really just kind of moves along pretty quickly at a, at a right. quick clip. And, uh, you know, just with all the, the switching of the babies and uh, the flipping of the pancakes and the cow coming in the <laughs> kitchen. I mean, it's just like this nonstop stuff going on. And it's it, it really is fun to watch. And I do have a lot of fun. And it does, uh, I, I think if anything feels dated, it is just kind of some of the attitudes and everything and the way things are, are handled. But at the same time, what I found really interesting was that even though it sets us up with this uh, this woman, I mean, basically the premise of the story is this uh, this woman who writes articles in this uh, magazine. Um, I can't remember the magazine, um, but it's one of those like ladies' home journal types of magazines. Um, she writes this column about you know with all these recipes, and she's always talking about her home in Connecticut, her farm in Connecticut, and her wonderful husband and her baby, and just this fantastic life and. And what happens is her the the editor of the paper uh, gets this war hero who you know for some you know reason he's this woman that the, is in love with the war hero is convinced that if if he only spends Christmas with somebody solid like this woman that he will fall for her he'll get over this fear of getting married and I just kind of a, it's a kind of a bit of a silly premise but yeah the whole premise <laughs> the fact that this christmas movie opens on a submarine and then you know two weeks adrift at sea dreaming of fine meals i know it's great well it's i know this this movie is like 1945 uh 
food porn is really yeah. what this movie is all about. It's really funny. Totally. But the but uh, so her the editor convinces her that she needs to uh bring this war hero uh home to her home in Connecticut and and make him a, a wonderful meal. And so she has to fake this whole life and it you know then it's kind of the screwball antics ensue and it is a lot of fun to watch. But I think what was interesting is it takes this woman who's a single woman um, but she's faking this whole thing. She's, you know, she's, she has this entirely just boring life in a New York apartment and she borrows the, the recipes from this, uh, magazine guy, uncle Felix, quote unquote, uh, who lit, who works at the restaurant downstairs. That's, uh, S Z Sakal, who is just, I think, wonderful in this film. And she, she uses his recipes that he gives her. And, uh, so they have to fake this whole thing to, uh, to, pull the wool over this war hero, uh, his eyes and her boss's eyes at the same time. And it, you know, it just, it's a very fun movie, but the way that they play it, it makes it seem like at one point it's like the only way a woman is going to be happy is by being at home and cooking and kind of being the domestic little housewife. But I think what I really enjoyed about this film, if you're looking at it like in, you know, kind of this perspective is that, uh, it's not belittling this woman. It's not saying the only way that you can really be a good wife is by being the perfect housewife and all that. It's creating this 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 uh, impossible thing for like it. Basically, her column has created this impossible thing for any person to ever live up to, and so she herself is trying to live up to this you know un unachievable perfection of of home life and domesticity that. Uh, I, I think by the end she kind of realizes is is completely um, unrealistic, and the, then the way that she has this relationship with this man that she's pretending to be her husband, who's some guy who really wants to marry her, even though she admits she never loves him, but she kind of agrees to marry him because nothing else is coming along. But even then, and he's the guy who actually owns the farm in Connecticut, yeah, and right. he's it's stolen all of her, or he is she he's provided her the inspiration for her column. Exactly right, and. But even then, as the whole ruse is kind of coming to an end, she she still says, you know, and this is while she thinks that um, that her man that she's now fallen in love with this war hero, um, Jeffer, Jefferson Jones, um, while she thinks that he's um, uh, I lost my train of thought that while that he is engaged to this other woman, she still is going to cancel her marriage so it's 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 she's realized that she doesn't have to be married to be happy and so i i like that it's playing with kind of a, against expectations for a, a 1945 film that the only way a woman can be happy is by being married and being this domestic housewife so i think they there's something really interesting about that that's going on in this film that i think for me makes it stand up a little more than just completely stuck in the time. Well, and and maybe that's why I took it actually one step further than you here is that that yes, it's I I think the resolution of the film gets us back around to the fact that, you know, a woman can be happy uh you know and not be, you know, just flipping flapjacks in the kitchen as Mr. Yardley so desperately wants uh <laughs> and, and his circulation he he believes apparently wants. But the fact that the, the most of the film sets up this precedent that in order for a woman to be happy and successful, she has to lie about it to everyone. 
and that there is no way to to be happy and successful with integrity, whether you're trying to create a, a craft a business and wear mink coats, as she is, uh, and, and borrow against her next six months' salary to do it. Uh, she's, she's lying to the most important people on which her success wholly depends— Sure. Uh, in order to to reap that success, and I, you know, I that's that's the thing that just sort of left a, a little bit of a of a bad taste in my mouth. I, you know, I I feel like you have to get over that and and realize that so much of this film is written, um, you know, as just a, a very crisp romp through this, as I said, this sort of trip of through bad decisions and chaos and and that part is the fun part you know once they get out of the city and and into the farm it's it's you know it ends up being uh, being a lot of fun and again the resolution once you're for me once i was satisfied in the kind of film that this was and get over myself and and you know stop thinking the resolution is actually quite rewarding to me uh but there is this whole segment where uh you know they <laughs> they play quite uh liberally with the conventions of marriage and fidelity uh and you know the the sort of beating heart and soul of this film in Jefferson Jones the pure sort of um you know the pure navy man uh is you know it, it constantly sort of tested and testing her uh, and as he believes she's married, and they have this whole kind of ongoing uh, would you ever kiss a married woman bit, and she desperately wants to kiss him, she wants to get kissed by him, she's in love with him at first sight, but she has this pretense of a marriage that, that they can't quite get uh, get legalized, but that's the, the lie that she's living, so she has to kind of live it out. Yeah. So, but but and I think she's in on it because I mean she does. Uh, it comes to a point at the end, like any screwball comedy, with these kind of, you know, this sort of circumstantial situation that they're all put into, which we've seen countless times. Um, ben Stiller does it really well. Right, <laughs> it's right. it's the sort of situation where when when it does come time to come clean at the end. You know, she she realizes that she needs to come clean before you know anyone's getting hurt and anything. So I, I mean, I I do agree with everything you're saying. I just I I do feel though that you know she she does find a way to kind of come clean and come out of the whole thing without. Well, and and come clean. You know, he. I think we get the initial reaction when she comes clean and and says that uh, you know explains she comes clean around the escapade of the baby when you know she had borrowed this baby um which was being taken care of by the the maid of the house while these the the mothers are off uh you know at the uh, work and so she's using this baby as a prop so that you know because Mr. Yardley the publisher re- believes that she has a baby that she's been writing about in the column and there are some fun uh, bits about the gender of the baby that she's been writing about a baby that's not the same gender as the baby that's in her house, and and uh, and then the baby gets swapped uh, at a boy for girl uh, because another mother has needs care from the the maid at the house, and Mister Yardley gets very upset that you know Elizabeth Lane doesn't uh, care about her own child and fires her when she comes clean and said this is all a fraud, yeah, uh, and and that you know otherwise would be that you know and and i think uh you know today we we very much would have seen that be that i think uh but it, it wasn't that she ends up sort of upending the power um uh equation on mr yardley and she ends up getting uh quite a raise as long as she keeps moving forward yeah uh 
So everybody ends up happy. It turns out the um, the uh, fiance uh, of the Navy man shows up at, to come clean to him and say that she actually already got married to his best friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> who who had proved himself with Scallywag anyway? Yes. Right from the beginning, he's he's the ladies' man at the hospital. So really, no surprise there. Right, no surprise there. And and she, when uh, they discover there's this sort of Romeo and Juliet moment when uh, you know you think one of them's going to wander off upset, and it turns out he he he. Uh, there's this this beautiful sweet uh, moment where he is you know he's like egging her on at the end, and finally says you know I know everything. Uh, and uh, and they uh, and, and and they come clean to each other and and realize that there are no extra uh, relationship commitments and they can be with one another and that's that's a very rewarding and it all just sort of comes out very quickly and then the movie's over. Yeah, it's uh, it is like the last ten minutes, but you know it's it's the resolution yeah, of the film. That's right. I, I don't need, know. It's like the punchline. It need it to, yeah. needs to be I, no longer. I think I think what would have happened if this. Uh, were remade today as so often happens in this sort of film when the truth comes out one person is upset and leaves the other person that's when you it's kind of the end of the second act and they go into that you know the the dark bottom of the second act right as we transition into the third act and then they have to make that change within themselves so then they can come back and go fight for that person and that's so often how these sorts of films end now and this i mean it is a it's a different sort of uh old school ending where you know the the truth comes out and everyone's happy hey that's great (laughs) (laughs) oh thank goodness we don't have to have any emotional resolution let's just go get married and kiss a lot (laughs) and roll in the snow yeah so i I mean it's good it is fun, though. It is a very fun movie. I found myself laughing out loud quite a number of times, uh, particularly Uncle Felix with his, you know, just all the catastrophe things and just everything else. Yeah. You know, his character is great. And just some of the food stuff. I mean, the fact that that he's cooking, what was he cooking for breakfast? Like kidneys? Yeah. It's, you know, it's like the smell of the kidneys draws Yardley to the kitchen and he can't leave yet because he just has to have some kidneys and... It's like God and sardines for breakfast, and it's just some. It's like ah, oh, this is really what people were eating back then. I guess. See what I mean? None of it stands up over time. <laughs> None of it, I tell you. Uh, oh, let's see. Okay, so uh, favorite uh, bits in the film? You have any favorite bits? You know, I did. I did enjoy the flapjack one quite a bit. I don't know. I just thought that was that was great. I knew exactly where it was going, but it was just fun to. You know, just to watch that play out and just I mean it's just so funny everyone is so obsessed with watching every little moment that she does it's like I find it so strange that they you know they feel the need to watch this woman flip the perfect flapjack and well yes you know it's so strange until you think what would people be like at Martha Stewart's house yeah right, right? Exactly. that's, that's the parallel right uh, that right, that this you is... want to know that she's the one who's actually doing it. Exactly. This is. <laughs> I think a we're test. more cynical. Let's see if Martha Stewart really does her own stuff or who she really has do it. You know. Well, I think I, we're a little more cynical thinking that. I don't even need to know that. The, I don't even think it's it's cynicism. It's uh, you know what this is. It it may be just fandom. You know, it's the same thing if you're a fan of 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 a particular musician and you get to see them live. Like you just are exuberant and passionate about the experience of seeing them play live. It I I think for those who are into uh, you know uh, home craft. 
um, getting to experience Martha Stewart in her element to see how she does her stuff is it, it could be fanboyism more than anything else. And I think yeah. that's a lot of what we're seeing here that that a Mr. Yardley wants to see uh, that, you know, he's this is this is the real element he's been paying for. I uh, probably some of that. But, you know, I, I feel like everybody's pretty genuine in their enthusiasm about, about just being a part of her universe. And yeah. the fact that that universe is a, you know, a Hollywood backlot is is the the kind of setting of the lie yeah um and i you know i enjoyed that uh, about it very much for me anything with the baby i thought was fantastic the in particular oh, yeah. the baby bathing moment yeah uh, was... when she tries to <laughs> bathe the baby and the sailor just wants to watch everything uh <laughs> and if i watch you bathe the baby well i don't think, oh, no come on please no really you know, oh come on and i'll just watch and, and she ends up getting him to actually bathe the baby i think is hysterical uh, there are some really fantastic moments there. And just even the fact, just the whole, like, did you say the baby's name? <laughs> oh, sorry, Roberta, I meant. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, and as you, you already mentioned, uh, S.Z. Zakal uh, as Felix Basanak, uh, the, the neighbor chef, who uh, apparently is uh, it's, um, in, in her debt in, in some way. Uh, it, which they, they aren't ever quite clear about. I guess she loaned him money or something to get his restaurant started in New York. Uh, and and so in, in exchange, she's been applying, uh, supplying her with meals and recipes for the magazine. But him running the show uh, at the house uh, at yeah. the, in, in Connecticut is really priceless. Having a judge climb out the window uh, as, a, as a, quote, shortcut, uh, to avoid being seen by the the publisher, I mean, there are just some really wonderful lampoon elements that he could pretending use. the baby swallowed the watch. Yes, <laughs> all the watch thing. He calls it it's a giant pocket watch, like a giant man's pocket watch. And the only nod to the, the fact that that's a little odd is the the is the sailor saying that watch. And it's such <laughs> a fast moment, but it's wonderful. It's a yeah, wonderful it exchange. It uh, really is. The the watch is is literally the size of the baby's face, like it's it, it, it's giant. Uh, so there are some really great moments in this film, and well, uh, and they set, and they set his character up so well, leading right up to the end with with Elizabeth getting to stay on, you know, and that that whole ruse that he pulls over Yardley's eyes with the you know the letter from the other magazine. Right, he he does set up a competitive environment and. Uh, and, and that that ends up being what changes Yardley's mind, uh, not to fire her, yeah. um, which you know it makes him you know he's sort of the biggest cog in this in this you know machine that he's it, it's around uh, Felix and his brief exchanges with characters that that the relationships all sort of are set in motion. Yeah, and he's hysterical uh, doing it, uh, yeah. and you know he was in. Uh, Let's see, where do we know him from? S.Z.Z. called Casablanca. He's in Casablanca, yeah. That's, yeah. I think, the big one. Yankee Doodle Dandy in the good old summertime. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's he's somebody who's been in a good number of films. Did you, catch his, the, uh, did you catch his nickname? Uh, I didn't catch his nickname. Cuddles. Oh. That's not, yeah, that's not a joke either. That Wikipedia that's... told me. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah, he actually uh, was, uh, I think, in Europe when when Hitler came into power and he fled and started uh, getting into all the the films out here. That's kind of that lovely, befuddled character. But he'd been uh, in films since uh, 1916, so he's been around. Wow. 
His, yep. his rotund cuteness caused studio head Jack Warner to bestow on Zakal the name Cuddles. Warner asked that he be billed as S.Z. Cuddles Zakal in his later films, though he was never happy with the name. <laughs> uh, I wonder why not. But mm-hmm. his his best, uh, and apparently uh, this is, although I this is the first time I, I've actually ever heard this, but apparently his catchphrase from this film uh, is is something that he, as an actor, became well known by. Uh, by everything is hunky dunky. <laughs> right, it's hunky dunky. It's hunky dunky. It's hunky dunky. It's good. It's, it's good. good. It's good. I I just loved his catastrophe thing. What is this catastrophe? And then he just he kept saying it. Through. I don't know. I thought he was great. I absolutely loved watching him through the film. Me too. He was a treat. Uh, let's see, Sydney Greenstreet, our friend. He is always great to watch, and it's just it's nice to see him pop up in things that I had not seen before. You know, I mean, I always loved him from Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, and getting a chance to just see this, see him pop up, and this was was a lot of fun. Oh man, Maltese Falcon! He was great in that film. Yes, he was. Uh, Reginald Gardner. What do we know, of, uh, Reginald Gardner, uh, from? I uh, had not. Uh, he was not somebody that I uh, had made note of, though he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in The Great Dictator with uh, Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, right. Uh, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he was in, he actually, his first began in films with uh, The Lodger in Alfred Hitchcock. and uh, But he didn't really get into stuff until he moved out to Hollywood and and uh, started working out here. So... I think he started in the mid-30s in Hollywood and Born to Dance, 1936. And, you know, he, he always kind of uh, became one of those uh, butlers and, as they call him, silly-ass upper-crust English twits. <laughs> <laughs> they do say that. Wow. He, uh, yeah, I guess that was kind of <laughs> his calling, <laughs> so to speak. Oh, like well, a guy. You know, it, yes, exactly. And it, it, it comes to, you know, uh, he, in The Man Who Came to Dinner, he uh, he plays a man called Beverly. And that really does set it up, right? He, you know, he, he does that role well. Yes. He did it well here. Indeed. Dennis Morgan. Dennis Morgan was uh, a kind of a bit player in Hollywood, but he started uh, popping up more after he was in Kitty Foyle with Ginger Rogers in mm-hmm. 1940. And, uh, yeah, I think he, uh, you know, just was a guy who ended up being in a, you know, a decent number of films after that. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, geez, all yeah, the way up into good the Westerns in the fifties and sixties. And then you a know, lot of TV, yeah. lots of TV, uh, even in the love boat. So he's a guy who'd been around for a while. Hey, you've been around long enough to be on the love boat. <laughs> then you know, you then made you it. Know you made it. <laughs> you and Chaco. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and, of, of course, uh, Barbara Stanwyck. You know, a funny story about Barbara Stanwyck. I was watching this with my wife, and my wife goes, is that Barbara Stanwyck? And I go, yep. And she goes, you know I?" and I go, Thornbirds. She goes, oh, my God, how did you know I was going to say that? <laughs> it's just, it's, I don't know. It seems to be, she's that actress that, so many people or, or women, I guess, maybe know her from when they first saw Thornbirds when it aired in the uh, early 80s. Uh, she was Mary Carson in Thornbirds. And that's exactly where my wife uh, first met the lovely Barbara Stanwyck. 
And I knew that was exactly where she was going with that. So that's interesting. You know, I never, I never watched it. Did you ever? Did you? Watch I, the I never watched scene? it, but I, I think uh, many, many women did. I mean, I think my mom watched it. She and her mom have watched it. I know her mom has the DVDs, so it's, it's definitely one of those, you know, epic sweeping uh, TV miniseries from the '80s that uh, just, uh, you know, sixty years of this family and their ranch and. In everything that went Rogada. yeah how do you how so. do you say that in, in you know in australian <laughs> d-r-o-g-h-e-d-a have, how would you say that i don't know it's fictional it's a fictional sheep station oh and i then i if it's fictional then you can say it however you want <laughs> See, but when I say it, it sounds like I'm saying something from the Game of Thrones. Or, or a disease. Not a... <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a hot zone kind of a thing. That's right. That's right. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck is a, you know, she's one of those uh, sort of Meryl Streepy kind of uh, women in this role. You know, she's she, Meryl Streepy and Devil Wears product kind of a thing, vibe going, you know, although uh, more approachable. But that, yeah, yeah. that fast uh, uh, language is so funny to watch the way – what I really appreciate about her uh, performance in this film, in, you know, the fact that we have a lot of um, – a, a lot of s- sort of slapstick going on around her. Uh, I love the way she transitions from her place of power in New York to her place of weakness in Connecticut. Uh, mm-hmm. To watch her play this woman who's so used to being in control of everything to being out of control, I think she does really charmingly. You know, when the the cow sticks its head in the kitchen, her reaction to that is just pitch perfect for for this film. Um, I love the way she tries to touch it and the, how far she holds the leash to, <laughs> so that she can stand <laughs> away from it. Like that whole sequence of her trying so desperately to be romantic while holding a cow is. Uh, is, I think, really um, uh, an exemplar here for, for just how well she handles this kind of a role. And and her ability to jump from comedy to, to drama is, you know, obviously... And noir and, and everything. Noir, I mean, yeah, yeah right. Stella Dallas. Girl, right. Yeah, the, the Lady Eve. Uh, and, of course, Double Indemnity, which is, yes. I think, my my favorite film that uh, that she's in. And uh, the Furies. I mean, she's she's an actress who's just been in a, just a huge variety of films and some TV, lots of great stuff. And uh, yeah, just one of those that I've always loved to watch. And uh, you know, she she always brings a lot of power to the screen, and I think she definitely brings that here. And like you said, she plays that really well, where she does. She's in her element in New York in this, and she's so great out of her element. In uh, Connecticut, but something else that, about that that I do like is it, she's out of her element in Connecticut, but it's not played like the dumb blonde out of her element sort no, of way. Right? It's, it's played, I think, very smartly and and very much in sympathy with the character, which I really like about this film. Is it, it's never like the stuff with the cow. It's never done like. Uh, like you would see done now, or it's just like it's 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 diminishing her as a character. It just, it still makes her a strong character. She's just not in the element of stuff that she understands, and I think that's a real strength of this film. I, I yeah, I think that you know maybe I I I like your the way you put that better. It's not necessarily a point of weakness, but a, a point where she just a place where she just is out of her you know her element. Uh, she yeah. just does not understand anything going on around her. 
Um, right. But what's interesting about it is that uh, what gives her strength, right, um, and and ends up sort of clearing the air is doing what she does best when she's in New York and her place of strength, which is you know fabricate, um, you know, create lies. Right? She fabricates right. Yeah. this tale, uh, and and so she brings kind of her her power move from New York to this place that she doesn't understand and tries to apply. Yeah, uh, you know what she understands onto this foreign land, and and that that's what kind of makes the makes the film. Um, sort of, you know, funny. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. Yeah. This film, um, I think it was the first film, I believe I'm right in saying that, that uh, she did with Peter Godfrey, who directed the film. And they became great friends after this. He ended up naming uh, one of his daughters after her and, and putting her in, I think, two or three more of his films after this. Godfrey was a, an interesting director of the time. I, I read this quote about him. Peter Godfrey was a supporting player in the lexicon of Hollywood directors, but for a time he proved that style could triumph over narrative and that film technique was and is an art in itself. So it, he's one of those directors who nobody talks about that much, but he did do some interesting films, and uh, you know this, this was one of the war comedies that he did. And he kind of was known for these kind of these gothic dramas that he would do, like The Woman in White and The Two Mrs. Carols and Cry Wolf. Uh, you know, he did some of those. He didn't really get into the noirs so much, but he did kind of some of these darker uh, dra dramatic films. And uh, it, it's I think he, uh, yeah, it's I think that quote said it pretty well. He was a director who never quite, made it to the top, but he did some films that kind of got close to pushing there. They just never quite did. What's your experience with Peter Goffrey? I mean, have you, how many of his films have you, do you feel like you've seen? I, this is the only one. This is the first one that I've seen of his. I mean, looking through the list of his films, I know I've heard of quite a number of yeah, them. Yeah. You know, like uh, Hotel Berlin, which was the, the re remake of, um, uh, 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 I just totally blanked on Grand Hotel. That was the remake of Grand Hotel. Um, Cry Wolf, Two Mrs. Carroll's, uh, The Woman in White. And uh, I, I think that's all I'd heard of his. Um, so, I mean, he was directing up until the late 50s, and then he died in 1970. So, uh, and then he also did a lot of plays, a lot of TV, yeah. um, a lot of other stuff. And, you know, he kind of, I mean, he came from the world of theater, and moved into films when he came over to the U.S. Interestingly, when, uh, you know, during the war, I mean, he was making films like this, but he also would go out to army camps around the country, and he was an amateur magician, and he would stage shows and put on, like, magic shows for the troops, which I think is a pretty interesting little, you know, side note for him. That's awesome. Yeah. He was he played uh a magician in looks like in blockade his own film I believe no that wasn't his own film but he played a cafe magician with Henry Fonda and Madeline Carroll mm -hmm. uh that's a, I did not know he was a magician yeah himself amateur fascinating yeah no interesting if the you're things paid, you learn. if you're paid to be an actor who is a magician and you are also a magician, does that not make you a professional magician? 
Uh, I don't know. That's that's kind of a. Are you a, a you know? I I may not be a doctor, but I play one on TV. Right, but if you are also a doctor, I think the the Big Bang Theory also does this. You know, uh, uh, Mayim Balak uh-huh. is a neuroscientist in real life, and she plays a well. I think she plays like a biologist on the show. I yeah, guess that would well, not make her a real biologist. You mean a real? Yeah. You're she would right. have to be a biologist and play a biologist. Right. Or be playing a neuroscientist. Do you see where I'm going with this? That's that's very heavy. Yeah, it's not that heavy. Uh, not really. Mm, pretty just, trying to, just trying to what give else, your conversation uh, what... weight. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? Um, Una O'Connor, who is the uh, the housemaid, Nora. I guess, in this... Yeah, she's uh, she's fantastic and fun to watch. I love how she's going to quit because everything is just she can't believe that this would have happened. And just I don't know. Her character is great. The back and forth. She's been around quite a bit, though. Witness for the prosecution, the adventures of Robin Hood, the invisible man, the bride of Frankenstein. And she's somebody who definitely had uh, been around, did a lot of great stuff. Something about her look, I think, worked really well in those horror classics, but also works really well in the comedic roles. And so she, I think she was able to function really well in, uh, in both types of films. And, uh, you know, she's just fun to watch. It's, I think that this sort of film does rely a lot on casting actors who have great looks uh, with the comedy. And I think that uh, Godfrey and his team did a great job with it. She reminds me of Cloris Leachman. She does. That's exactly who I was thinking. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Right? Is that like, like you know, there are only seven models of people. Cloris Leachman's definitely one. That's right. This I could not, like, I'm watching this, and the whole time I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about Frau Blucher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I guess technically uh, Cloris Leachman would be the Una O'Connor yes, model. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. Yes, right. That's right. <laughs> Oh, that's good. So that funny. is good. Uh, let's see. Who? Anybody else you want to hire? I mean, we do, I, I, we've got Frank Jenks as Sinkowitz, uh, and Joyce Compton as Mary Lee, the you know the lovely nurse, the lovely nurse fans. Yeah. The, I think the more important thing to talk about is: Have you seen the 1992 remake of Christmas <laughs> in Connecticut, starring Diane Cannon and Chris Christopherson, and Tony Curtis? And directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. By Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I think the tagline says it best. She's hungry for ratings. He's hungry for dinner. Christmas in Connecticut. <laughs> uh, did you send the tra- Did you watch the trailer that I sent to you? No, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it is. I mean, it looks terrible. We it should put that in the show notes just so people can have a good laugh because it looks really, really bad. And it's so bad. This was in 1992. So so hot on the heels of Schwarzenegger in uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. There's even <laughs> there's a moment in the trailer where it says, directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it cuts, <laughs> and it cuts to a character who's wearing the black jacket and looks like just that tough look. And he looks at the camera and goes, I'll be back. (laughs) It's like, oh, man, Arnie, you did that. Talk about a parade of bad decisions. Yeah, yeah. It it looks uh, pretty atrocious. So definitely not one I'm going to put on my list of things to watch, but uh, the trailer should give you a good laugh. Did you find any money? I film? found 
I found nothing about money on this film. Uh, I didn't find how much it cost to make. I didn't find how much it made. I didn't find anything. All I found was it was released July 20th, 1945, which struck me as odd because, you know, this is a Christmas movie and here they are releasing it in July. So Christmas in July all over again. That's weird. That's just weird. Uh, It was... Uh, let's see. So we have no money. We have, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's a good film. I I think it's worth watching. It's worth adding to your Christmas collection, if only because the last 10 minutes make up for a lot of the other, uh, for me, the cultural ridiculousness that doesn't hold up. It was, I really enjoyed it. It was, it still left me with a nice warm feeling. Um, it, it did not crack the top 100 of my personal flick chart. No, it didn't top top mine either but you know i i think i enjoyed it a little more i think i i was able to kind of step back into the 40s a little more with this one and just kind of uh you know revel revel in that world that this one was coming from it's just it's a it's a fun light film and it's uh it, i mean it's really funny there's some great characters in it and i think anyone who gives it a shot will uh have some good laughs and you know a nice little uh, a nice little romance definitely definitely a gem let's rank yeah. it Let's rank it. All right. Uh, head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can catch up with all the films that we've worked on. If you want a direct link to our golden ticket list, just head over to the blog and or to the website, thenextreel.com, and you'll see the badge in the sidebar there. And you can jump over to our Flickchart Top 100, and, and uh, we'll see if Christmas in Connecticut is going to crack it. Let's see. Christmas in Connecticut or thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking it is. Oh, Christmas in Connecticut or Big Fish? <laughs> <laughs> Big Fish. Oh, man. You know you have to. You know you have to, why, why do I have to? Why do I have to? Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I have problems with that film, but... I know you have problems with that film, but come on, just, man. Just you, give me one reason. Yeah, just here's the thing. Everything but John August. I know you aren't crazy about John August, but the rest of the movie, the Tim Burton... Actually, Tim Burton is the reason I don't like the movie. Oh, this is the, please. I like the script for this movie. John Ewan, August... Ewan McGregor is, and Albert Finney. Are you kidding me? I will give you this one because of the scene with Albert Finney in the bathtub. That sounds terrible. That's the, that's a, you're a... You're a horrible human being. The way that you behave on this holiday week is unconscionable. Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner. <laughs> All, right. All right, Christmas in Connecticut. I I did pick Big Fish. Thank you. So, you know. Thank Christmas you. in Connecticut or The Wolverine. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick The Christmas Wolverine. Christmas in Connecticut. Come on. Oh. Oh. You know, I'm, I honestly, I'm not, no, I'm not that, I, I'm not that swayed on Wolverine. I'm like right in the middle ground there. So I, I'll give you Christmas in Connecticut. But I, I, uh, I think that there are some pretty compelling visuals in the Wolverine that, that, uh, there are compelling visuals, but compelling visuals do not a great movie make. I know some brothers Wachowski who would disagree with you. <laughs> Christmas in Connecticut or the 2004 Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Zombies. All right. If that cow had been a zombie, maybe. All right. Christmas in Connecticut. Oh, this is fun. Christmas in Connecticut or Bull Durham. More little Kevin Costner (laughs) Christmas present for you. (laughs) I hate this job. (laughs) 
I'll do Christmas in Connecticut because it makes me laugh. I'll do Christmas in Connecticut because it's not Bull Durham. <laughs> Christmas in Connecticut or Thor, the Dark World. <laughs> Man, there's a an odd pairing. <laughs> How do you even begin? Uh, Especially because the poster they picked for Thor is the poster of, what's his name, the Dark Elf Malakoth or whatever his name is. <laughs> It's just like it just is like the last thing you'd think of when you think of a Christmas movie. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go Thor. Are ya? Yeah, yeah. Ugh, I'm hard pressed to pick Thor. Yeah, I'm not I saying will, it was easy, but I will. Christmas in Connecticut or Major League? <laughs> they both. What are a crazy pairing that this is. I mean, all of these. <laughs> I know. There's just something not really right. Is. What are you, what I'm gonna are you pick, gonna do? I'm gonna pick This is actually closer to me, Christmas in Connecticut and Major League in, in terms of I mean baseball, but but just this sort of general comedic sentiment is probably yeah. closer than any others. Yeah. I think I'm I think I'm gonna yeah. go major league. Are you? Yeah. <sighs> I'll go major league also. What the heck? All right, one oh eight. One oh eight out of one twenty seven. Well, sorry. Sorry, Christmas in Connecticut, but uh, it was fun knowing you. It was. You know, it is it is a fun film, and it's definitely one that I'll watch again. I, you know, I, it is. I, it I is. Fun. It's not He's, one I'm going to watch not during the holidays. No, no, it's a holiday movie. It's yeah. something that I'll put on during the holidays, but uh, not outside of that. But it, it's it's a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm glad I watched it. Check that one off my list. Totally. Now... The big question. Where do we go from here? It's New Year's. Next week is our New Year's uh, uh, film. What are we doing? We're going to do the Hudsucker Proxy. A little. We're going to have a little a little taste of Cohen. Just, just in time dab. for the holidays, yeah. Well, it'll be a little bit late. Uh, it, so this will uh, this will be actually our... Well, it's a New Year. It's our it'll, first it'll film. It'll be the New Year. Yeah, it'll be the first film of the New Year. We're, uh, we're going to air, I think, next Friday, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the next Friday is our first. I can't believe it. So d- should we? Uh, do you, Do you want to? Do you have any thoughts about how this last year has been? Any highlights? I uh, I don't have any highlights, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. The whole thing was a highlight, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> what is the? Uh, what's I think the... I think for me the highlight was <laughs> was oh, our wonderful, fun filled conversation about Yee. <laughs> so not a highlight. It was a fun conversation. It's not a highlight. It was a fun conversation. No, I, you know, we did a lot of fun series. I think we had a great time with Couples on the Run, our heist film and magic films, even though the Woody Allen one wasn't that great. Now You See Me. Yeah, Now You See Me, but that was a film board yeah. movie, but still. What, uh, so, yeah, what was your, what, give me your favorite uh, series of the year. Oh, boy, favorite series of this past year? Hmm. Let's see. The series that we did, Catherine Bigelow, John Huston, Baseball, Original Sci-Fi, 1976, Patty Chayefsky, Magicians, Heist Films, Couples on the Run, Coen Brothers, Romantic Comedy, David Mamet, Foreign Language Films. That's tough. That is really tough. I, I, you know, I really enjoyed the original sci-fi series. I thought those, it was just fun to revisit those. Um, I mean, uh, gosh, you know, if it wasn't for Strange Days, I'd say I really enjoyed the Catherine Bigelow series. 
Uh, I mean, gosh, you know, the John Houston series was great. I enjoyed our, our two baseball picks this year. Um, 1976, I know you hated Taxi Driver. <laughs> but you know what? I, I would I would say, interestingly, I think the, uh, 1976 is the one that I remember probably the most. I think it was the most interesting. And, and you know, I learned the most probably from Patty Chayefsky um, uh, just in talking about that the differences between Network and, uh, you know, the hospital and, and Marty. You know, I, I, yeah. I think in, in terms of Patty Chayefsky's sort of writing, I think I held him in much higher esteem than maybe... Uh, judging by the, you know, the work that we sampled, uh, is is deserved. Um, heist films, I think we always uh, it was is always a big uh, win. I loved the couples on the run films that we chose. I think it was a nice broad mix from Midnight Run to, uh, uh, you know, to it happened Butch one Cassidy. night. Butch Cassidy, True Romance. I mean, just fantastic films. I you know, Night of the Hunter, uh, was a great surprise for me. Um, uh, you know, one that I hadn't seen. And of yeah, course, that, go ahead. That was I was going to say the couples on the run was was a lot of fun, and you know it's amazing how many couples on the run movies there are out there. And I think you, uh, I think you're right. The ones we ended up covering, uh, I mean, I don't know if it wasn't intentionally. We just happened to pick those ones, but it ended up feeling like we kind of covered the gamut of of crime stories, of westerns, of kind of the the children on the run, the romantic comedy. It, it ended up being kind of a nice spread across the genres, which I. I really enjoyed. It didn't feel like it was pinned into one specific thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, and I think, looking at our series coming up in 2014, we have more of that. Yeah. Uh, in these longer series, uh, the series with films that are uh, that that span, span sort of a broader um, scope. Yeah. Good year, Andy. Absolutely, lots of movies that we had great time talking about. Absolutely. Here's to 2014. Here's to it, man. All right. Clink. I gotta go. I gotta go to bed. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.